John chapter 14, so if you would turn there in your Bibles. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. And our text today is John 14, verses 12 through 24. And so um, let's read the first few verses. I'll read it, and then uh, we'll pray once more. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And Father, we pray that as we look at those few verses and the verses that follow, of course, Lord, we pray as I always seem to pray, that you'd give us understanding, application, Lord. We know that these words were not spoken to just merely be spoken, but they are words of life and truth, and they should and must be applied for the believer. And so, Lord, we ask that you not only give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say, but that you would give us hearts to respond minds that are ready. We thank you in advance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mention quite often, you know, every pastor kind of has his thing, his phrase, his, you know, thing that he kind of says over and over again. If you've sat under any pastors, you know that, oh, there he goes again, you know, type of thing. And and I think one of my things is that um, I say quite often the Bible is not boring. In fact, it's kind of ironic because um, at our ministry meeting this morning, after we prayed, I had talked about um, the importance of taking the word of God and relating it, you know, to make it uh, understood by whatever group you might be teaching from the youngest child to the oldest, you know, saint, you know, or seeker. And I had made mention of the fact, I think I had said the very thing, you know, the, the Bible's not boring. I'm afraid, though, at the first service, I kind of made the word boring. It's ironic because really the topic of our text today, as you'll see as, as we move on, is, is really the ministry of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I had mentioned to the first service, and, and as we were worshiping, I was kind of looking at my Bible and trying to figure out how many weeks it's been that we've been in this portion of John's Gospel account. And this portion, by that I mean the things that were done and spoken by Jesus in the upper room. Remember, uh, Jesus had asked them to prepare a room, to prepare a place so that they could have Passover together. And of course, John gives us more insight. He gives us, uh, you know, more of the teachings, more of the things that were done and said than any of the other gospel writers. John gives us kind of a snapshot, really even more than a snapshot, but he gives us a picture of what was happening there in the upper room. I'd mentioned to the first service that it's a bit difficult for us in this way. Jesus spoke these words in one setting on one evening, in perhaps an hour 
or more. I don't know how long it took him to say the things that, that he, he spoke. I mean, you could read through uh, the chapters dealing with the things that took place in the upper room, and it wouldn't take you an hour to read that. We've been in this portion of scripture for five weeks. And so it's kind of like we start, we stop, we start, we stop, we start, we stop. And we're taking these little chunks. And of course, we do that so that we might be able to ponder, really think about the text that we're looking at. But I want you to keep that in mind. With that in mind, I'd like you to jump back to verse 11. You note all these words are read. All of these words were spoken by Jesus. In verse 11, Jesus says, believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves, themselves. Then he goes on and he says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, and greater works than these he will do. And I think that this has created some confusion. You know, people say, depending upon what camp you're in, you know, some might say, yes, you know, we're to do more miraculous works than Jesus did. Was well, that what he was speaking of here? You know, Jesus said, fed 5,000. Uh, we should be feeding 10,000, or at least there should be those who feed 10,000 or more, you know. Is that what Jesus was speaking of? It's interesting because the word that's used for works in verse 11 and also in verse 12, it is the Greek word ergo, and it literally means to work or to toil as an effort or an occupation. So I don't think Jesus was speaking of spiritual works or spiritual signs, that the believer will do more spiritual signs than Jesus himself did. I think he was speaking of the fact that they would have a greater or broader grasp. I remember on the day of Pentecost, they're gathered, there's 120, they're in the upper room. The promise of the Father had come upon them. They were told to wait and tarry until the promise of the Father had come upon them. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Greek is a P. He came upon them. They began to speak in other tongues. They began to glorify the Lord. You had that miracle. You had the miracle of those outside from all over the place that were there as pilgrims for Passover, unleavened bread and Passover. And they hear them praising the Lord in their own dialect. So you have a number of things that are happening there. Then you have those who mock. Oh, they're drunk which makes absolutely no sense at all because drunk people could hardly speak the language that is normal, but you know, foreign, familiar to them than to speak a foreign language. But Peter gets up. Remember the account. Peter gets up and he preaches Christ and he calls them to repentance. And we're told that 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. That is that greater work that Jesus was speaking of. It had a, a, a greater, you know, it spread out. It, it reached more people. You look at Jesus and his ministry, and, you know, depending upon where you're studying, in, in Matthew's gospel account, Matthew, of course, he wrote his, wrote his gospel account for the Jews, and, and, and he quotes Jesus saying, I have not come but to the lost sheep of Israel. 
So you would think, well, that, you know, that's the only group that Jesus was concerned about is the Jews, you know. But then you look at uh, Mark, for example, and written for more of a, a Roman kind of audience, you know, and you realize, well, it was much broader than that. Jesus, of course, ministered to non-Jews. You look at John's gospel account, and John's gospel account is so unique, and he doesn't even seem to really focus on, you know, Jewish or Gentile as much as the other gospel writers do. He just simply presents Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. The point is, is that when you look at Jesus' ministry, he handpicks 12 one of them will betray him as a traitor. He knows that when he selects him. We know that as you follow John's gospel account, that there were many who would consider themselves to be disciples, not in the same way that the 12 were, but they were disciples in that they were sitting under the teaching of the rabbi, of the teacher, Jesus being the teacher. But of course, they were there, you know, when Jesus was feeding the multitudes, but then when Jesus began to teach, because he knew the motive of their hearts, they wanted more food, they turned away, and they went away, and they followed him no more. Remember John chapter 6. The point being, Jesus, in a sense, poured his life, and even that, three and a half years poured three and a half years of his life and his ministry into 12, knowing that one of them would turn away and go astray, knowing that there would be 11 remaining, so that these men, these 11, might continue with the message, taking it out to the world. And that's what we see. We see the apostle Paul, Paul, known as Saul, the Pharisee, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the one that was full of himself and full of hatred toward the church, toward the way. And he persecuted that way. We saw that last week. He persecuted the way to the death. He meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. And his life is never the same. He changes his name from Saul, the first king of Israel, to Paul, little and he takes the gospel to where others never thought of taking the gospel. He goes out into the world, taking the gospel, sharing the gospel. So I guess what I'm trying to say is Jesus said it. It happened. It's continuing to the present day. We're to take his word wherever we go, the gospel, wherever we're at, uh, our neighborhoods, our workplace, our schools, wherever. Share the gospel with people. People are perishing for lack of knowledge. People are perishing because they have not placed their faith in Christ. We need to take the gospel to them. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So it's a blank check. I don't know about that. In fact, John kind of built upon this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'll just read it to you. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. Oh, well, see, that's narrowing it down, isn't it? 
If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. You know, when Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, guys, do we understand what that means? Whatever you ask in my name, a name. What's in a name, they say? Well, the name speaks of the person's character. You know, if I said, uh, oh, I was, I, was, I was speaking to Bill the other day, you know, and, and you're going, I, I don't know who Bill is. I don't know, you know, I don't know anything about the man, you know. But if I was to say, I was, no, I was speaking, I was speaking to Bill Smith, and you said, oh, I know, I know Bill Smith. And so all of a sudden there's clarity because you know something about Bill Smith. Maybe you know his character. Maybe you know the kind of person he is. It gives clarity to the whole illustration or conversation that I'm describing to you. To ask in Jesus' name, it's not a magic formula. It's not a blank check. It really is speaking of his character. Who is he? Who is he? It's obviously speaking of his will. You know, if your neighbor was bugging you and you said, Lord, get him in Jesus' name, you know. I mean, do you think that the Lord's really going to answer a prayer like that? Because it's contrary to his nature. He wants to get them. He doesn't want, you know what I mean. He wants to get them. He wants them to come to faith in him. He doesn't want any to perish, you know, but all to come to repentance and all. And so that's what it means to pray in accordance to his will. Well, how do we know the will of God? Only by the word of God. Guys, I'm like a broken record. And I will continue to say these things until the Lord brings us home because there is this strange, you know, kind of separation in many churches from the word of God. Almost like we don't need the word of God, you know. I was thinking of this whole thing of asking and receiving. And I was thinking of how in the New Age movement or kind of the thoughtfulness movement, you have this um, law of attraction. And it's not speaking of, you know, like a sex appeal or something like that. It's speaking of this phenomena. They say it's a law. It's like gravity, you know. That if you're thinking the right thoughts and you're desiring whatever it is you desire, there's this attraction. You're going to attract these, these because you're sending out the positive vibes, you know. And, you know, it's just this mystical, silly type of thing, and yet it's infiltrated the church. This type of thinking has infiltrated the church, you know. As long as I have good thoughts and good vibes, you know, I'm just sending up good vibes, you know. It's not like that at all. That's so abstract. That's so strange. That's so bizarre. The Lord wants us to take his word by the spirit of the indwelling, you know, we have the indwelling spirit within us, if you're a believer, and we'll get to that in a moment here. He wants us to read his word so that we might know his character, that we might know his nature. Remember when Moses said, Lord, I want to see your face. You know, you've, you've called me, you've commissioned me, you've sent me on this mission. I've got this, you know, this group of complaining Hebrews, you know, and I need to, I need to see you. I need to see you. And, and remember the Lord 
took him, I mean, I'm paraphrasing all of this, and, and there Moses stood in the cleft of the rock, and the Lord put his hand over Moses, and he walked by, and what did he do? Do you remember what he did? He declared his name. You say, well, what a bummer. No, what a blessing. You want to see me? Listen. See, that doesn't make sense for us. No, I want to see you. Yeah, I know. Listen. <laughs> he declared his name. And, 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 and he takes his hand away and Moses looks and he sees, you know, the Shekinah glory, the backside of, of the Lord and his face was shining, you know, and it was so glorious. The name, the name, the character. We're not going to know the character of God if we're not in his word. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. It literally should read, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You might say, well, oh, that's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. The note tells you that. If you have notes in your Bible, it says right there, you will, you will keep. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, paracletus, helper or comforter. Don't you like that? There's so many titles, there's so many names for the Holy Spirit, but uh, I really like helper. Do you need a helper? Oh man, I don't need a helper. I need someone that's in control. I'd like to help. I don't need you to help. I, I'd like to help you, <laughs> Lord. But the helper, that he may abide with you forever. Listen to these words. He tells us, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How beautiful. That's beautiful. It's the Spirit, he's with you. Jesus said to those 11, whoever else might have been gathered there in that room, he'll be in you. We look at the epistles, you know, written by Paul or Peter or John or James. The Spirit upon you, the book of Acts, Luke tells us on the day of Pentecost, you have different words for each one of these. With you, that's one Greek word. In you, that's another Greek word. Upon you, that's a third Greek word. Filling you, that's a fourth Greek word. I mean, these, these experiences that we can have and will have with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's glorious. It's glorious. Guys, it's, it's as if the Spirit of God is in place of the presence of Jesus. Now, for us, we say, well, we've never really had the physical presence of Jesus like, like the 11 had. You know, we, we, weren't, we haven't been with Jesus. We haven't walked with Jesus. We haven't felt his touch or touched him. And I mean, we haven't experienced that. You think of how much it would have impacted their life. I mean, Jesus is telling them, I'm going away, and they're troubled. That's why he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Because they were troubled. 
So now he's telling them, I'm, I'm going, but it's a good thing that I'm going because when I go, I'll send the helper, the comfort of the paracletus. Paracletus means the one who comes alongside. And he will abide with you forever. Forever? Yes, forever. He will abide with you forever. And he's the spirit of truth. Remember, the spirit of truth, well, what would the spirit of truth do? The spirit of truth would lead us into truth. He would remind us of the truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know. No one comes to the Father but through me. Truth, truth, truth. It's not, well, that's your truth. No, that's silly talk. It's truth. This is what the word says. This is truth. The Spirit of God will lead us into all truth. And we're told that the world cannot receive him because the world does not see him. Guys, there is this unique experience that the believer has. For us now, we don't, you know, wait for the Spirit of God to come into us. I mean, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has come into you. He has sealed you for the day of redemption. But I think that we can all look back before coming to faith in Christ and say, oh, though I didn't recognize it at the time, the Spirit of God was truly with me before I came to faith in Jesus. Man, I, you know, I think of in the early days when I was just looking into so many other things and, and I'm so thankful that the Lord did not let me get caught up in some cult and to be derailed for years of my life. I'm so thankful for that. And I think of, you know, the year kind of leading up to uh, when I finally received the Lord. Man, I look back and I think, man, the Spirit of God was with me. I was an apprentice carpenter, and I worked with a fellow. Uh, his parents were from Russia. Uh, he went by the name Oli because uh, it was his last name was Oli something Russian. So it was a hard name to, to pronounce, so we kind of cut it short. Vietnam vet uh, was in Vietnam in the... 60s, um, I worked with a lot of Vietnam vets, and it depended upon what time frame they were in Vietnam, really depended upon where their thinking was at. And this particular fellow uh, was a Christian and the most patriotic man I have ever met in my life, and a little unhinged, but, <laughs> but he loved the Lord. And he took advantage of the fact that he was the journeyman, and I was the apprentice. You say, how did he take advantage of that? He talked to me about Jesus. Where am I going? I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm glued to him. He wants a board cut. I'm cutting the board. He, you know, whatever he wants, you know, he tells me to jump, I'm jumping, you know, whatever. And he invited Tracy and I to a Bible study. We were living in Santa Barbara at the time. And, uh, you know, I look back, I, to my surprise, I, 
I said, yes, you know, we went to the Bible study and we met his parents. They're lovely people from Russia. They love Jesus so much. You can just see it. I mean, it just, you know, there's some people, it's like they can't hide it. It just is everywhere, you know. And they were that type of people. And a little group. And they worshiped the Lord with the guitar. The fellow who owned the house played the guitar and uh, had a simple Bible study. And there was something happening to me. I could not explain it. I've told the story many times. I, after a few weeks of going to this home Bible study, I remember we went out on the front porch of this little, little bungalow, little house in Santa Barbara, nice neighborhood, and we're talking to the husband and his wife. Everyone else had gone. And I said, I don't know what's happening to me. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I said, uh, since we've been coming to this study, uh, I feel something. I don't know how to explain it. And they, you know, looked at each other and smiled and looked at Tracy and smiled and then looked at me and said, it's the Holy Spirit. I said, wow. <laughs> Holy who? <laughs> you know, because I, I really didn't know anything. I really didn't. But it was the Holy Spirit. He was with me. And that day that I surrendered my life to him, you know, he came into me. I didn't understand that fully, but I knew there was a change. The Holy Spirit came into me. And all of a sudden, there's a desire for things that I never had a desire for. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How will you come to us, Lord? Well, we say he's coming. I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe in the pre-trib rapture. Sorry if you don't. I believe in the second coming, the literal second coming of Jesus. But I think he was speaking here of coming by way of his spirit. I'm going, but I will come again. You say, well, Dan, that doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. This is why we go to the Bible for the truth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. See, there's one God in three persons. I don't pretend to understand it, but I believe what the Bible teaches about it. The Spirit of God. Look at verse 19. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Guys, note the distinction that Jesus made with the world and his disciples. This is important because this distinction still stands today. The world, the believer. The world today, the world is so caught up in its own ways and its own thinking and madness and everything else. And yet the believer, the disciple of Jesus Christ can, can experience, can have this perfect peace in the midst of absolute insanity. And it is insanity. I need to be careful because I, I want to teach the word of God and I don't want to preach something else that I don't want to, I don't want to get caught up on. But, but it is absolute insanity. And if we're paying attention and if we're aware of what the word of God teaches, we know, and we might not like it, but we know that our nation, 
along with many other nations, but our nation is being judged. To whom much is given, much is expected. And much has been given to this nation. And uh, we have turned our back on the Lord. And in essence, you look at the leadership we have in our country, you know, on all levels, all levels. And we're getting, <laughs> it's like, you know, in the last days, you have the seven letters to the seven churches. And I personally believe that the seven letters to the seven churches speak of prophetically church history from the first century church, the apostolic church, to the last day's church, the church of Laodicea. Church of Laodicea, I mean, this is the age in which we live. Laodicea, it means um, people's rights. Uh, they're unaware of their true spiritual condition. How do they see themselves? Well, we're rich. We have no need, need of nothing. You know, we've got it together, man. We're bringing in the kingdom of God. Watch us. And Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold. I would rather you be hot or cold, but because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm nauseous. He doesn't hate his church, but he's nauseous by that, that self-focused you know, church. And that's where we are. Well, you're either there or the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love. You have little strength, but you've remained, you're continuing, you're, you're, you're persevering, you know. And that's how I, I see the, the church today. We're, we're like the, you know, you're either in the Church of Philadelphia, you, we don't claim to have much strength, but we're clinging to what we know to be true. We're trusting in Jesus. But I think of in the world as well, you know, there's kind of this, this mentality. Everything's great. It's never been better. Da, 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 da. Or even, you know, the hope. It's a, it's a you know, election year. And so people are saying, yeah, hey, don't worry about it, Pastor Dan. Everything's going to get okay once we get the right man in office. Oh, gosh. Please don't set yourself up for disappointment. There is one man, the God-man, that our hope and our allegiance should be in. You will always be disappointed when you set your eyes or your focus or your hope on man. Always, 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 always guaranteed. Guaranteed. By the way, little detour for a moment. I have time, I think. Israel, I mention it quite often, we should pray for Israel. The Bible tells us, you know, we have Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. God's not done with Israel. Israel is going to come to faith in Christ. The Jewish people are going to recognize, though they rejected Jesus the first time, they will come to realize that they have been duped. When will they realize they have been duped? When they see the abomination that causes desolation. What is the abomination that causes desolation? Thank you for asking all these great questions. The abomination that causes desolation is when the Antichrist sets himself up on a wing of the temple, rebuilt temple, and proclaims to be God that he is above all gods. Guys, what we're watching right now in Israel 
the tensions that are happening in Israel. Guys, please, please, please. If you think that America is the focus of Bible prophecy, you're watching, you're listening to the wrong people. The focus of Bible prophecy is, always has been, always will be Israel. It's Israel. It's Jerusalem. It's not New York City shall become a cup of trembling. It's Jerusalem shall be a cup of trembling. It's Israel. And what we're watching right now, you know, they have seven fronts, seven issues that Israel is dealing with right now. The small little nation, the, the size of the state of New Jersey. It's brought them together politically. Remember how they were before that tragedy happened? They were divided. There were many because, you know, the, it's a reserve military. And there were many who said, we're not going to go fight. If we get called up, we're not going to fight. We're not going to serve. And of course, when the tragedy happened, this kibbutz was attacked and the people were just so horribly brutalized. Then the nation, the people came together. They realized we are dependent upon one another. We need to do our due diligence. If we don't, no one else will. But I believe that what we're watching right now presently in Israel is setting things up for the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be the man with the plan. He's going to come in and he's going to work things out so that there is peace and safety, peace and safety for Israel. We know that they're going to go through some very, very difficult times, and many will perish, and it's sad. But we should pray for Israel, and we should do our part, you know, whatever we could do to share the gospel with people, with Hebrew people, because God's not done with them. Anyway, where am I? <laughs> I should have taken these detours, because I can't. Let me, let me go. Verse 20. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Guys, if, if I mean, you read this, and you just want to stop and think about what he's saying, because it's so, it's so heavy. It's so wonderful, but it's so heavy. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest Myself, that word manifest, it really, it literally means to reveal by words to him. I will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Good question, Judas. How does he do that? Guys, listen, I say it all the time because it's true. You know, I don't worship the book. I worship the author of the book. But this is, this is my manifestation. This is your manifestation of the Lord. I don't, I can't, you know, it's not this like, you know, hippy-dippy, you know, I'm going to go out in the wilderness and, 
you know, just kind of have my time with God and whatever comes into my mind, man, that's the Lord. That is so dangerous. That is so dangerous. Our thoughts should be shaped by the word of God, not the other way around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's the word of God that should, it's the truth of the word of God that should be shaping our, our thinking. And if we're thinking unbiblically, then we need to adjust our thinking. You know, I think of Mormonism, you know, my my father's side of the family were Roman Catholics, so that's why I went to parochial school and all of that growing up. My mother's side of the family, though my mother never bought into it, but her older brother married a Mormon girl, and so he kind of brought Mormonism, and so a lot of her family were kind of the Mormons. So you had the Catholics and the Mormons, and um, it was quite confusing growing up, you know. But I'll tell you, you look at uh, Catholicism, and surely Catholicism has a lot of problems. The dogmas that are unbiblical. Uh, a lot of problems. And I've spoken a lot about Catholicism and the problems with that. But Mormonism, Mormonism is based upon a lie, a supposed manifestation. You begin to uh, research Mormonism, and, and they had a hard time even getting the location of Jesus' birth down. You say Jerusalem. It wasn't, wasn't Jerusalem. It was Bethlehem. And then when it comes to the nature of Jesus, according to the Mormons, well, the nature of Jesus is that he was the spirit brother of Lucifer. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have this breakdown. You have all these lies. Well, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Well, you're going to sincerely go to hell if you believe the lie rather than the truth of what the Bible teaches. You see what I'm saying, guys? This is why it's so important that we're people of the word of God. We read the word of God. You say, well, Dan, you always say, you do say, the word of God is not boring. But why is it boring? Why is it boring? Why is it that when I open the Bible and I read, I just don't get anything out of it? Or I, I read a you know, chapter or paragraph or whatever, and I get done reading, and I don't even remember what I read. What's the deal with that? You know, the Bible itself tells us that it is a spiritually discerned book. It is a book that, that you need spiritual discernment to understand. And, and it gives us really the key. That's why the Lord has given us his spirit. He's not left us as orphans. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us. The spirit of the living God. So he's a helper. He's a comforter. So how does it work? I'm not saying it, the Holy Spirit. He's not an it. He, the Holy Spirit. But how does it work? How does this this comforting or this help, how does it work? Lord, as I open your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give me ears to hear. Would you help me, Lord, as I'm reading today? Would you show me things that perhaps I've read many, many times before and, and my mind just kind of zones out? I'm, I'm not really thinking about it. Would you, would, Lord, would you manifest yourself to me? My father, and I will love him, 
and manifest, reveal by words myself to him. How is it that you'll manifest yourself to us but not to the world? Because the world doesn't care anything about the word of God. Does it? The word doesn't care. The world doesn't care about the word of God. But the believer, as the believer is reading the word of God, studying the word of God, believing, applying, seeking to apply the word of God, you know, it's a means to bring us to a greater relationship with the author. But to throw the word of God aside is absolutely foolish. Faith comes by hearing and not by the word. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Hmm. I can't keep it unless I know it. I can't keep it unless I have the spirit of God living within me because I just can't do it on my own. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the strength. I don't have the know-how. I can't do it on my own. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That word home, the Greek word that's used there, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. That's interesting. What's really interesting is this, the first time it's used, so the, the second time, the first and second time are both found in John chapter 14. The first time that word, that Greek word is used is when he says, in my father's house are many mansions. The word mansions, it's that Greek word for home, for home. Guys, just think about what Jesus was saying to them and, and know that these things apply to us. Things haven't changed as far as the things that we're reading here. We will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Are you trusting in the Lord? Have you placed your faith in Christ? I, I you know, I think I, I mentioned this verse most every Sunday. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his, what? Name. In his name. John chapter 1, verse 12. Receive him. Believe in Jesus. He who believes in him is not condemned. John chapter 3, verse 18. Live for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, guys, I um, worship team, you guys could come on up, please. Sometimes I will say to my kids, you know, all of our kids are grown up. They're all adults, and, and they have their own children, and what a challenging time it is to raise children. And I'll say to my kids, I'll say things like, sometimes 
I'm overwhelmed when I think of my grandchildren growing up in this world. What a confusing and strange world it is. It's like walking through a minefield. Now, a list can come to mind. How are they ever going to meet somebody? How, how this? How that? How are they going to manage? How, you know, these types of Of course, they're going to get through it, you know, just like we got through it and everything. I think of the importance. How do you communicate something? It's almost like trying to communicate a color to a blind person. How do, how do you do that? It's, it's almost impossible. You know, we say to our kids, if we're wise, we say, now, Johnny, you know that your mom and I, we believe in Jesus, but, you know, we didn't, we weren't born believing. There was a time in our life when we, when we came to that place of knowledge and, and faith, you know, and you might tell your story. You know, everyone has their story. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, you should have a story. You should have a story to where, you know, it was at this moment. It was when, you know, this happened, and I know that there was this change, this transformation that took place in, in my life, you know. I was never the same after this point. I'm not perfect, but, but that, that was the turning point in my life. And as parents, we say to our children, now you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a spiritual thing that, that only the Lord can do, but we need to believe in him, and, he, and he'll do that. He'll, he'll, he'll cause you to be born again, born of the Spirit, born anew. It's a work of God. Well, how does it happen? You know, and, and again, you're trying to describe something that you can't really put into words. But when you've experienced it, you know that you've experienced it, Right? I know that I'm born again. How do you know you're born again? It's more than a feeling. It's more, there's, there, there's fruit. I once was a, a dead tree. So the dead tree wasn't producing fruit. Or if it was, it was producing bad fruit. But now there's this change in my life. There's this desire for things that I didn't have a desire for. Now, guys, we don't just kind of sit idly on our hands and wait for, you know, the feelings to come or the, you know, it's kind of like a, um, <laughs> it's kind of like a marriage. You know, you, you fall head over heels. I think most of us did, unless you, there was a shotgun involved in your wedding. But, but most of us, you know, we're head over heels. We think, I, I love this person. I don't see any flaws in this person. We are going to live happily ever after as, as long as it, this is it. And then you're married, and, and you start seeing flaws in each other. And sometimes you might even think, oi, you know, <laughs> this is, this is going to be a challenge, you know, and, and, and that person becomes the very tool that the Lord uses in your life to show you things about yourself and to bring maturity and everything else, and the Lord works through it and everything. But you know, guys, the world says, oh, we just fell out of love. And the Bible says, love. 
right? It just, it's not a feeling. So if we're giving biblical counsel to a couple and they're saying, oh, we just don't, you know, the spark's not there any longer. What do we do? Well, you love. You love out of obedience. We take them through the word of God. We show them what it says. And then we encourage them to pray. Lord, would you give me a renewed love for my husband? For my wife? Would you please help me, Lord? That's how it is spiritually. Lord, there was once this fervor and this fire. And, oh, Lord, I used to weep whenever we would sing that worship song. And, oh, Lord, I used to bring your Bible everywhere I went. I used to bring it to restaurants. Do you guys remember that? Some of you may never have done that. We used to bring our Bibles into restaurants just in case we needed it, you know. And now it's hard to read a chapter. So what do we do? I mean, what would you do? What counsel would you give someone? I know what counsel I would give. Read. See, it's always, counsel is never what you want to hear. Read and pray. Pray what? Lord, give me a love for your word. Lord, speak to me as I read your word because I'm convinced, Lord, if you're speaking to me as I read your word, as I'm seeing your nature, your name being manifested, as I'm reading the scriptures, as I see your name, your character, your nature being manifested in my life as I'm walking with you, it's going to cause me to desire to spend more time with you in prayer and your word. And it's just kind of this, you know, just kind of loops back around and it kind of feeds itself. So we need to do our due diligence. Don't wait for the feeling to come back. Some people, you know, you just your emotions, there aren't much feelings, but there's obedience. We saw it today in our text. He will keep my commandments if you keep my word. It's not emotions. It's just do the right thing. Do the right thing and see what the Lord wants to do and what he will do in your life. The word of God is not boring. A life in the spirit is not dull or boring. If it's that way, it's, it's not his fault. He hasn't dropped the ball. Maybe we need to drop to our knees and say, oh Lord, would you help me? Maybe, very practically speaking, maybe there's things we need to say, Lord, I need to put this thing away. Because you know what? I find more interest in this thing, maybe and not just young people, but maybe it's the phone. I'm always on this phone, and I'm never talking to anybody, but I'm always on this phone. You know what I'm talking about. You're just always looking at something. Maybe I need to put this away. Maybe this is dulling my appetite for the word of God. Whatever it is, let's stand.